0: Good morning, Cornerstone. As Pastor Danny mentioned, my name is Hojen, and I'm the young adult pastor here. Pastor Danny is taking over uh, for the college ministry and, and uh, worship ministry at our church. And uh, if you're here for the first time, we're extremely glad that you're here. For the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke, and primarily we're, we've been looking at parables and these little short stories. They're, they're kind of like uh, fables. They're, they're, they're kind of moral lessons that, that are shared. And at the Young Adult Retreat back in March, we were able to look at three different parables, parables parable of the, the lost sheep, uh, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And through those parables, we were able to see the heart of God. And I pray that that would be the case today as well, that we would see the, the heart of God and our response to it. And Pastor Danny already kind of gave us a hint that we're going to look at prayer. Um, Pastor Jared Wilson, he he writes, Every parable, long or short, is fathoms deep and designed to drive us to Jesus in awe, need, faith, and worship. Every story that Jesus tells is to lead us ultimately to worship him. And that's that's our prayer today. That's our goal today. He continues to say that uh, when Jesus teaches through parables, what's happening is the window... To the hidden heavenlies is being opened. This greater reality, this, this spiritual reality is being opened. And what exactly is this spiritual reality? It's the fact that there is a Messiah, there's a Savior, there's, there's a God who loves this world, even in all of its brokenness, in all of its sin, so much That he sent Jesus, his one and only precious son, to this world to make this a better place. That's That's the hidden reality. We don't really see it when we look out into the world, when we listen to the news and we hear about these tragedies and the suffering that's happening. But the hidden reality that God is at work with right now is to redeem, restore, and make all things new in the name of Jesus. So if parables are a window to the hidden heavenlies, I'm going to say that prayer is the path to the hidden heavenlies. It's, it's a way for us to access and experience and understand what this kingdom is going to look like, what it's going to smell like, what it's going to feel like to be part of this this new creation. That is what prayer allows us to do. So we're going to look at a passage today. It's in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you could turn there, Luke chapter 11, and these, these parables come right after Jesus teaches his disciples what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, starting from verse 5 and reading until verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me on the screen. Luke eleven five to 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, To be honest, uh, prayer is... Something that I've wrestled with, with most of my upbringing, I I grew up in the church. Um, My mom tells me that when I was in her womb, we were going to church. So all I know is what it means to be part of a church. I've memorized the Lord's Prayer um, and recited it every Sunday. I I knew it in both English and Korean and and just understood that prayer was this serious thing. Part of my faith journey includes... um, yeah, seasons of being guilted into attending every prayer meeting that my church had. Um, my, my church had early morning prayer, prayer meeting for an hour every weekday uh, in, in college. And on Wednesday night, they would actually start prayer meeting at 10 p.m. and go until 3 a.m. Uh, and it was this, like, I mean, I'm really thankful for that experience, but... I remember feeling so guilty whenever I I went to these prayer meetings and I didn't know what to say or if I fell asleep at 3 a.m., which, you know, sounds pretty reasonable, but just getting really confused. And then you get to a place where you're asked to start to pray out loud in front of people. And some of you, this is one of your biggest fears. I know this. I've talked to some of you. The last thing you want to do is pray in front of people. We're, we're so concerned about saying the right words and saying it in the right way. Is it theologically correct or not? We prayer is this weird, weird spiritual discipline. And it can be confusing. But I want us I want us to see through these parables, through through these short stories, that what Jesus wants is not perfection. He really wants us to understand who the Father is, who he is, what he longs for, and, and the type of um, affection he has towards us. And one thing that is absolutely certain is that prayer is a non-negotiable in Christian life. It's, it's a must. In order to have a relationship with the living God is prayer. Uh, American pastor and author A.W. Tozer, uh, he wrote one of my favorite books. It's called The Pursuit of God. And he writes, The only path to holiness is time in God's presence. That's the only path to becoming more and more like Jesus is time in his presence, is prayer. Uh, Again, I I said earlier in this passage, right before verse 5, Jesus teaches Actually, Jesus himself is praying in verse 1 of chapter 11. He's praying, and the disciples take notice, and, and they ask him, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer provides us with the content. It's an example of what, what prayer should be concerned about, the, the subjects of, of our prayer. And then he follows up with these two short parables to encourage us. So today, if you're taking notes, the the title of the message is Confident Prayer. Confident Prayer. Jesus shares these two short stories. He wants us to to pray and to keep on praying. In verses 5 to 7, Jesus asks his disciples a rhetorical question. And we almost lose what happens in this rhetorical question because this rhetorical question is actually a story. If you look at the beginning of verse 5, the quotations start, which of you, and then at the end of verse 7 is a question mark. So Jesus is asking his disciples, what would you do in this situation, essentially? So let's, let's look at this situation. He says to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. This is the setting. He's saying, hey, disciples, imagine that you're a host, that someone has shown up at at your house, and in Jesus' day, they lived without cell phones. They didn't have GPS. Like, oh, estimated time of arrival is 9 o'clock at night, so have the food ready by then. No, people traveled as long as they could based on the conditions, the weather conditions, road conditions, whatnot, and showed up whenever they showed up. And... The disciples are to imagine that they've been put in the place where somebody has shown up at their house at midnight. And in this, uh, in this culture, in Middle Eastern culture, the, the value, the, the ideal of hospitality is much, much higher than what we think is hospitality today. We think that inviting people to a clean house is showing hospitality. Uh, providing maybe a cup of coffee or tea is, is hospitality. But Eastern hemisphere hospitality... Is vastly different. In 2006, I had the privilege of going to Kenya and Ethiopia for a missions trip, and uh, a, a big aspect of this trip was just going door to door in these villages, these remote villages, in, in, uh, primarily in Ethiopia, and you just show up and you just share what the gospel is, what, what, what Jesus did in order to have a relationship with them. Every house we went to, they didn't know we were coming but every time they they invited us in to sit down in the best chairs in the place and gave us the best food that they had at the moment Uh, i had some really good food like mangoes like right off the tree bananas like they they don't taste like what you get at like stop and shop and and shaw's over here like better than whole foods um and then i had some weird stuff uh i i didn't know what half of the stuff was um I had something like made with pressed banana leaves, and it was gray. Like when food looks gray, it doesn't look that appetizing, but they were presenting me with the best. I had coffee, and uh, you know today we grind the coffee by pressing a button in our electronic grinders. Do you know what they do in Ethiopia? It's a huge... It's like a, it's like a container for a potted plant, and they have these huge wooden beams, and two people are taking turns crushing the coffee beans, is the best coffee I've ever had, but in Ethiopia, it's a luxury to put butter in it, and um, I did not enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> butter in your coffee, I hear it's like a, a trend now, but whatever the case is, they, they offered me the best. They offered our team the best that they had, and this is the, the feeling that, that we get when Jesus says, imagine you are in this position of needing to host this visitor, this traveler who has ended up at your house. The pressure is on. You need to provide him some food. So Jesus says, what would you do in this situation? And Jesus continues, and and he says, you know, which of you, like, would you do this? Would you go to your neighbor at midnight And say, friend, can I borrow three loaves of bread? Would you have the audacity to do that at midnight? And Jesus shares a little bit more details in verse 7. And he says, not only do you need to bother this neighbor at night, but he's annoyed already. Verse 7 says, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are, are with me in bed. And I cannot get up and give you anything. He's saying, "Hey, disciples, if you were in this position and you knew the neighbor would be annoyed, would you still, would you still interrupt his sleep? You know, this neighbor would be terribly inconvenienced. Um, when when it says the door is now shut, it's not like a doorknob." but how they secured the door were long beams of wood or or metal that you slide across the door to secure it shut. So in order to open the door, they would have to pull it out, make a a huge commotion, wake up the entire family in this one house, uh, one-room house, everyone sleeping on the floor together, and then he would have to get up to find these three loaves of bread. The neighbor gains very little, if nothing, by helping out this friend. And I love that um, Jesus tells this story and says, Hey, if you were in this position, would you go up to your neighbor and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. And then how does the neighbor address him? It's like, Don't bother me. He doesn't even have the energy, the, the desire to call him friend back. This neighbor is Annoyed. So now, back to this rhetorical question that Jesus is asking through his story. Would you do it? Do you have the boldness? Would you have the audacity to bother your neighbor? And the answer, the rhetorical answer is yes, absolutely. Every disciple who would have heard this question would have been like, of course, hospitality is such a big deal that it wouldn't matter if I bothered my neighbor at midnight, if I interrupted his sleep, his inconvenience is far less important than showing proper hospitality to my guest. And in verse 8, Jesus tells us, he shows us that the answer is yes, indeed. Because this neighbor, you know, in the first part of that verse, read it like, he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, that's not the basis for why he, will, he is going to give him the three loaves. The reason why the neighbor will give him is because of his impudence. And that's an everyday word that we use, right? Impudence. Um, but that word is, that is translated as, as that is only here in this passage, in all of the New Testament. But the feeling that, that it conveys is this quality of not worrying about what is proper, a level of shamelessness, and a a level of ignoring traditions and conventions. So because this host cares so much about taking care of his visitor, he is not going to worry about what's appropriate or not, whether it fits conventions, if it's okay that I, I go knock on my neighbor's door at midnight but in boldness, with a level of shamelessness. In this situation, the host has to forego worrying about what others think because his needs are very real and very urgent. So in this short parable, why does Jesus tell it? He invites the disciples to put themselves in, in the shoes of this host. But why? And I think it's because Jesus wants to encourage us to pray. Jesus wants to encourage us to pray, and the first thing is that God will never, ever turn us away. Some of us, we're, we're so caught up in worrying about whether we're going to say the right thing, ask for the right things in prayer, that we don't even bother anymore. But Jesus says, keep on praying, because God will never, ever turn you away, turn us away. A secondary lesson in this short, you know, three-verse uh, rhetorical question is a, is a contrast between the Heavenly Father that Jesus just just taught about in, in the Lord's Prayer and this annoyed neighbor. It's not a comparison. It's a contrast. It would be a mistake for us to read Jesus' words and think, whoa, that's how God listens to my prayers. Don't bother me. Like, I cannot get up. It's an inconvenience. I have to wake up all the angels in order to answer your prayers. It would be wrong for us to think that, that Jesus wants us to think that God responds in, in a similar ma- manner. But Jesus is telling us that our God is exceedingly different than this neighbor. So this neighbor is going to respond because of the boldness of this host. And in the same way, God is going to respond much better than this neighbor because of our boldness to him in, in prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, the first phrase that comes out of Jesus' mouth is Father. And this was, uh, would have been a radical thing for uh, the listeners to Jesus' teaching. And here, right after the Lord's Prayer, what does God wants us, uh, want us to see? What does Jesus want us to see is that God is also our friend. We can go to him in the middle of the night for an urgent need and say, friend, I need your help. And seeing God as father and friend does not, it does not mean we forego the respect and honor that he deserves. And part of what Pastor Danny shared in terms of how we want to change prayer at Cornerstone is part of that. We want to show reverence, but alongside the intimacy the friendship, and the the familial uh, relationship we have with the God of the universe, the God who created everything we see. And it's all over Scripture. It's the God who is slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love, but he will not let the guilty go free. It's this intimacy, and reverence, hand in hand. And Jesus invites us to be bold to this God. Jesus shows that we have intimate access and relationship with him, and that he will never turn us away. He's going to hear every request, which is why Jesus tells us to ask and seek and knock. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There's three verbs there that Jesus commands to the, his disciples, ask, seek, and knock. Asking indicates a need that, that, that has to be fulfilled. Seeking entails something that is missing or something that was lost. And knocking involves a door that needs to be opened. He says, view prayer as these, these actions, asking, seeking, knocking, and, and the beautiful thing that Jesus does is there's a corresponding response to each of those commands. Those commands are in the present tense, but the responses are in the future tense. The responses are promises made by Jesus that God will hear your prayers. Ask, ask that need that, that you want fulfilled. And what will God do? He will give it to you. Seek that thing that is missing in your life. Seek the thing that you've lost. And God will help you find it. And knock on that door. Knock on that opportunity. Knock on that, that, this way that you think you need to go. Keep on knocking because God will answer it. It's a promise from the Heavenly Father. So that, application just from you know these first couple of verses in our passage is to pray boldly and frequently pray boldly and frequently will you exercise the same type of boldness that this host exercises to his neighbor will you not worry about conventions will you not worry about saying the perfect things in your prayers because you understand your needs are real they're urgent. And you have a heavenly Father who is exceedingly more gracious than this neighbor. You know, we forget that prayer is about trusting God with anything and everything. Pastor Danny said it. We, we go to prayer as if only it's, it's, it's uh, in case of emergency, break glass, right? It's in case of emergency, bam, like I need to pray right now. Let's get that fire extinguisher. But instead, prayer is this constant life journey. It's the path to the hidden heavenlies. Um, John Ortberg is a pastor and author out in California, and he writes in the book called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's about spiritual disciplines. I think it's, it's a great book if, if you feel overwhelmed. He tells us that two things are absolutely necessary for prayer, a time and a place more important than than the amount of time is that we just set aside a specific time for God that we designate a spot that that we know that is exclusively between you and you and the heavenly father find a time and a place a consistent time if you have no prayer habits at all this message is for you don't don't feel bad Start with five minutes a day. You've probably heard this at Cornerstone plenty of times, but start somewhere five minutes a day if you're not praying at all. If you miss a day, try not to make it up by praying ten minutes the next day. Just pray five minutes the next day. If you already have a prayer routine, consider adding five minutes and see what God does to your spiritual life from before adding five minutes and after adding five minutes. Because I want to believe in the Heavenly Father who listens to those five minutes, is so pleased by it, who is better than this neighbor, and He wants to respond to your asking and seeking and knocking. Make yourself inaccessible to everybody else for those five minutes, and make yourself supremely accessible to the God of the universe, to to your heavenly Father. That's more important than how well you do it, whether you do it consistently, whether you do it perfectly, whether you say the right words, whether you stumble, whether you fall asleep. It's it's the fact that you've you've set aside that time to honor him, to meet with him, to commune with him. Jesus gives us um, another mini parable afterwards in verses 11 to 13. It's another encouragement to pray. Jesus asks another rhetorical question here. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? I think this rhetorical question is easier to answer, and it would be a resounding no. There's no, even, even the, the worst parent in the world would know better. Than to do that. Because in, in Jesus' day, fish and eggs were staple ingredients of the diet of the average person of that time. Fish and eggs were, were common uh, components of the meal. When, when a child asks you for their, the bare necessities of life, and instead you give them serpents and scorpions, the things that are harmful, poisonous, and deadly. Even human parents know better than to do that. Jesus is making his case very clear, and he says that human parents know better. And again, he contrasts human parents, earthly fathers and mothers, to who? The the great heavenly father. And that phrase right there, how much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good gifts? How much more? Uh, there's, there's this video I saw this week, and I'm going to show it to you. It's just a minute long. Um, I, I, when I, I saw this video, I was like, oh man, Like, not only is it super cute, um, it, it was really encouraging to me, so if we're ready for that. Uh, Context She's watching Lion King at a very important scene when Mufasa dies. (laughs) What I love about this video is uh, not only the music is awesome. um, No, I I couldn't even see the screen, but I was like, oh shoot, like something's coming. (laughs) That soundtrack is epic if you you haven't watched that movie. But this child is encountering sadness. The father goes, are you sad? And she's like, "Mm mm-mm, as like tears are like, they're like trembling at, at the corners of her eyes like like are you okay and she's nodding and like you know tears are tears are streaming but then when the dad goes do you want a hug she nods and this is a random dad i think he's a radio talk show host in in that moment i was like i'll give you a hug if he's not going to give you a hug how much more how much more will the Heavenly Father do that for us? How much more? And Jesus, that's the second point, last point, that Jesus encourages us to pray because God will always and only give us good gifts. And please don't be be mistaken. Good gifts isn't money, health, and prosperity. Do you know what God defines, what Scripture defines as really, really good? When we, we look more and more like Jesus. In Romans 8, 28 to 29, we, people always quote 28, but they don't keep reading. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, and what's His purpose? That Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When Jesus, when God sees us look more and more like his one and only son, God looks looks at that situation and says, that is very, very good. That is where we find our greatest joy, our, our greatest peace. And you know, the craziest thing that I wrestle with a lot is that Jesus has unanswered prayer, at least not in the way that he wanted. Philip Yancey writes, When Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he didn't. He didn't get that salvation. Instead, he got salvation for the world. Prayer forces us to look beyond ourselves and be consumed about our circumstances and start to see what the heavens are doing, what's happening, what's, what God is at work for the kingdom and what is ultimately good. We begin through prayer. You know, we, we can go to him really boldly and share what's on our hearts. Like, read the Psalms. Read Psalm 13. I think it's one of the most honest psalms in the entire Bible. We go to him and we can be very honest, but we have to trust that he's good and that he's going to give us good gifts. And uh, Luke is like, he's genius because what, what does he say? How much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The greatest good gift that God could ever give to us is the Holy Spirit. Luke, the author of this book, also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke is always saying throughout the book of Acts that it's the Holy Spirit that is building the church. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers the disciples to bring others to come into knowledge of the real, one and only God. The Holy Spirit delights to point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants us to find our greatest joy in bringing glory to God. So the application for for these last set of verses is to pray patiently and confidently. Pray, expecting an answer from the Heavenly Father. He doesn't waste a single prayer you lift up to Him. He will answer it. Will you keep asking, seeking, knocking? Will you keep asking, seeking, knocking until you receive the Holy Spirit? And be open to the fact that his answer might not be exactly the answer you were looking for, but it's, it's the answer that we need. It's for our good. It's for the good of, of the world. And this is where a lot of us struggle to pray. Because when we don't get what we want, we start to doubt the nature of God. We start, start to doubt the value of praying. And for, for those of you who are struggling in that arena— Interact with others who have experienced answered prayer. Read, read scriptures, read the Psalms, read, sing um, praise songs. We're about to sing some epic praise songs, songs that have been, have been sung for centuries now. These people have exercised their faith and penning these song lyrics so that we can be encouraged. And if you have experienced answered prayer, won't you, won't you share that with others? Won't you brag about God? Won't you give testimonies of God's goodness? Because there are sisters and brothers next to you who need that encouragement. Last week, we heard two testimonies from two sisters from Boston College. I, I just felt like my heart was about to bust at the seams because I I just felt from them how much God meant in their lives. We need those stories. Jesus encourages us. He wants us to pray. We should not feel guilty. We should should not feel shame. We should feel the the invite, the invitation, the the welcome, the, the desire of the good Heavenly Father who wants a relationship with us. So start small. Don't, don't burden yourself. This is something for your joy, for our good. Jesus teaches us and encourages disciples and us to pray because prayer is how we come into contact with the Heavenly Father who will never turn us away and who will always give us good gifts. And uh, today, as Pastor Danny mentioned, if some of you have to really use the bathroom, go ahead. <laughs> um, but let's, let's pray corporately together. Pray with me. In the middle of my prayers, you can say, Yes, Lord. You can say, Amen. Try not to pray on your own, actually. Not that my words are, um, are better, but in, in my words, I might be praying something where you might be doubting. You could latch on to, the, to that. And let's do this together. It, you know, the Lord's Prayer was a, a community prayer. It was a corporate prayer. There was something about John's disciples in the way that they prayed that was so attractive that Jesus' disciples were like, teach me how to pray, and we need to be that type of church in, in Boston. So join your hearts with me and agree uh, with the with the prayer that I'm going to lift, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you look on us and you want to hear every single request we lift. It doesn't matter. Whether they're small requests, whether it's an emergency situation, we're just so thankful that you're a God who listens to us. We're thankful for Jesus who gives us access and who shows us through these short verses the type of God that you are, the type of relationship you want with us. So, Father, I pray for every single person here, including myself that we would grow in our prayer life. We thank you that prayer is really not about perfection, but it will be a journey. For the rest of our lives, we'll be praying. We pray even if we don't realize it, because we're constantly hoping and desiring for something. So God, we pray that we would hope and desire for the things of the kingdom. We, we, we ask that you would help us to, to be able to pray the Lord's Prayer I mean it more every time we lift it up that we would pray your will be done, not mine. That your kingdom would come. And at the same time, we lift up our requests. The basic necessities, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. We have our needs and we go to the the Heavenly Father who can provide it. So God, what I pray today is that we would experience the Holy Spirit. It might not be the same for every person here, but that they would feel the touch of God on their hearts. That they would experience what it means to commune with, with you, God. What, how, how sweet it is to talk to you and to trust you. So God, grow in our appetite in, in prayer Because we want a taste of what's to come. We want to know what heaven is going to be like. We want to know what you have in store for the kingdom. So we pray for those here who might be discouraged. That Jesus' words would encourage them. So strengthen us at this time as we continue to worship. Which is the end goal of prayer. That we would understand that you are a God who will never turn us away and who will always give us what is good for us. So we thank you so much. Help us to love you more than we did when we walked into this room. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As uh, Pastor Danny and June come up to to prepare, I'm going to encourage you to continue to pray. And um, the prayer ministry volunteers and uh, Pray for me. They they pray for all of you to experience the Spirit, and it seems like a very abstract thing. But would you just just ask to experience a, a just maybe a a moment of comfort, a moment of peace. Um, something about prayer that Paul teaches us is that the Apostle Paul doesn't pray for circumstances to change. He actually prays for people to come to know the great love of God. He doesn't pray, make their situation better. He says, I pray that you will come to know the fullness of of God's love, power. So let's pray that. God, even if you don't change a single thing in my life right now, even if I am stressed about looking for a job, worrying about what's going to happen, After graduation, worried about some broken relationships in my life, about the job I hate, about the non-Christians in my life, about those who are hurting around me. Even if you don't change it, through prayer, help me to know who you are.